you please open your Bibles to the last chapter of Isaiah. And you know it's the last chapter if on the next page you see Jeremiah. Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, our last sermon, our last chapter in an incredible book. It's been a great journey for those of you who've been here the whole time. Uh, it has been a great journey for me, and I uh, also find it pretty interesting how Isaiah ends this book. The philosopher Voltaire saw tragedy as proof positive that no reasonable person on the planet could believe in God. Basically, what he did is many, many, many years ago, he looked around and basically said, how could a good and all-powerful God create a world that is a mess like this? What he said was, isn't it painfully obvious that the world is not right and not the best of all possible worlds? His exact quote at the end of this phrase of what he wrote is, if this is the best of all possible worlds, what can the rest be? In a way, God agrees with Voltaire. This world is not what was created. It was not what God had in mind but God's doing something about it. He's not just patching up this broken world. He's out to renew it wonderfully. The last few chapters before 65 and 66 were prayers of God, come down and rend the heavens and fix this place. And chapters 65 and 66 is God's ultimate answer to our longings for intervention. His answer is nothing less than what we saw last week in Isaiah 65 and what we see this week in Isaiah 66, verse 22. A new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was perfect. Then we ruined it. We were deceived into thinking that we'd be better off defining for ourselves what our existence should be. What we didn't realize is that we were pulling a lever to make God's perfect creation into a perfect hell. So what did God do at that point? Well, going back into Genesis, he did two things at once. On one hand, he sealed off the evil so that it couldn't have its fully devastating effect or impact. He, he judged us, but he did it in mercy. And on the other hand, he gave us a promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15. He gave us a promise that through Christ, he was going to reverse all the damage that we've done. In effect, God was saying, hey guys, it's your fault. 
but it's my responsibility. I, I'm going to take you, and I'm pointing to all of you and me, I'm going to take you on as my personal project. Everyone in this room needs a savior because everyone in this room is broken. That's where we started before we met Jesus. And what God is saying is, I am providing him. I am providing Christ to this world so that the world has hope. And Isaiah, chapter after chapter after chapter, is unpacking for us how big this promise is and how you and I can be a part of it. And Isaiah's final chapter is primarily about worship. And the problem with the whole world is false worship. And we enter into God's promised future, though, through true worship. And so you're going to see going back and forth. You may see it in your outlines as you go along here. This back and forth between true worship and false worship. True worship and false worship. So let's dive right in. Last chapter of Isaiah, starting in verse 1. Thus says Yahweh. Okay, who's talking here? God, heaven is my throne and the earth is the footstool of my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. The opening words of this last chapter here were written to an unrepentant group of people in Israel. And what he's doing is saying, hey, you don't need to think that in your condition that you can please God by any means by building a temple for me. He's saying, you know, hey, after all, I'm the universal creator. I, I'm the owner. I'm enthroned in heaven, and, and earth is what? It's my footstool. The dwelling place that God desires is the heart of the person who is humble and contrite, who trembles at his word. The Apostle Paul commanded the new believers in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he commanded them to say, he said this, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. We need to accept the word of God. If your worship as God defines worship is true, you will receive his word. And how will you receive it? With a trembling eagerness. You'll receive whatever he says, as we see in the book of James. And he will give you more than you can ask or imagine. But, boy, is our world full of false worship. We see that starting in verse 3. But he who slaughters an ox is the one who strikes down a man. 
He who sacrifices a lamb is the one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is the one who offers swine's blood. He who offers a memorial offering of frankincense is the one who blesses wickedness. As they have chosen their own ways and their soul takes pleasure in these detestable things, so I will choose their punishments and I will bring on them what they dread because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not take pleasure. Okay, some important facts here. When you read verse 3 and all of the things they did, it's interesting because when you read verse 3 and if you know what they were called to do in worship, those were all things they were called to do to worship God. I mean, go back in there. They were to, they were to sacrifice an ox and the, the blood. Uh, they were to sacrifice a lamb. They were to bring grain offerings. They were to do memorial offerings with frankincense. Uh, they were to do all of those things. So you sit there and you go, okay, what is up? I mean, he who sacrifices a lamb breaks a dog's neck. I mean, you want to ruin a good movie. You don't end a movie killing a dog. So what is, what is going on here? Well, the key is going back to this simple phrase at the end of verse 3. As they have chosen their own ways. As they have chosen their own ways, and their soul takes pleasure in their detestable things. So here's, here's the thing. The, the Levites who were presiding over worship were doing that, but God's saying, this worship that you're doing is pagan. This worship you're doing is disgusting because your heart is filthy. It's messed up. He says that, but when I called, when I called you to action, when I called you to follow me, when I called you to follow my word, what happened? The phone rang and no one answered. When I spoke, you did not listen. Jesus echoed the same thoughts to the Pharisees when he said, Hey guys, you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. See, outwardly you're doing, quote unquote, all of the right things but you're full of death, filth. You're offering God unclean worship, no matter how biblical you may think it is, because you are willfully unteachable because you're not listening to my word. Worship in this room this morning only has two variables to it. True or evil? True or evil? You could be singing and worshiping and loving every second of the words, but if you're not following God's word, it's not true worship. It's just ritual. 
it's interesting then he goes right from this, you guys are, you just, you're, you're worshiping in a pagan way. You're not listening to me, not, not at all. And then all of a sudden it flips in verse 5 to talk about persecution. Hear the word of Yahweh who you tremble, you tremble at his word. So all of a sudden, now this is going to people who actually are worshiping. You see how we're going back and forth? We're going back and forth. You got false worship going on. Now you've got true worship. These people who are really worshiping God, they're trembling at his word. So now that defines these true believers. Here's what's interesting. He says, your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my name's sake, have said, let Yahweh be glorified that we may see your gladness, but they will be put to shame. A voice of rumbling from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of Yahweh who is paying recompense to his enemies. There were fearful, God-fearing Jewish people that were trembling at his word. And they were going to be persecuted by who? Their own people. Their own people. These, these wicked persecutors are, are thinking in some way that they're doing God's service because there's this kind of this pious taunt labeled in there. You know, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Your joy be miracle you know, kind of a miraculous delivery. But God's like, nah, that's, you guys are persecuting true believers. One of the things that concerns me a lot of times in our modern world as a church is so many people don't like, they're afraid of, persecution and and actually will run away from it if all possible and the truth is as jesus said in matthew 5 blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you Have you figured out yet that if you tell people what the Bible actually says in our culture, they're probably going to tell you you're a complete goofball, that you're not loving, that you're wrong, that you're actually evil? And what's even more on top of that, because really in the context of what we see here, in some ways we would expect that from people that aren't Christians. But what you see in this is that you see people claiming to be God's people doing this to God's people. And we see that today. People claiming to be God's people, telling God's people, you're following God's word, but you're wrong. See, God, God isn't about that. And God is just about, and in our vernacular today, God's just about love. Everyone gets a free pass to heaven. There's no such thing as hell. 
no worries, live your life the way you want to live it. But last time I checked, Jesus told people, go and sin no more. And there's no reason to say go and sin no more if there's no sin, if there's no truth. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, we need to, you can't even say this anymore in our culture or you're, you know, something's wrong with you. You need to stand up and take it like a man. Jesus does not apologize for the cost of serving him. I beg you as Christians, follow God's word, tremble at God's word, but don't tremble at man. Don't bow your knee to the pressure that comes from even inside some churches. Live God's way. Live by His Word. Jesus looks us right in the eyes, everyone, and He basically, He's like, hey, are you getting beaten up for me? Are are you getting beaten up for me? Are you feeling sorry for yourself? You know what Jesus' words would be? Get over it. Get over it. Your reward is great. He's not just saying get over it. He's saying, "Uh, last time I checked, I promised you what? New heaven, new earth. Your reward is great. He he says there, God's going to punish all the persecutors with a pretty startling effect. Our privilege is to be the object of his affection. Our our privilege is to be able to stand here in Los Angeles area in in 2023 and, and go, I get to bear witness to God's perfect plan and how he finds me Worthy to save. See, the future is ours. As Isaiah goes on here in verse 7. Let's just look at verses 7 through 14. Split it up a little bit here in a moment. Before she was in labor pain, she gave birth. Before her pains came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be brought forth through labor pains in one day? Can a nation be born all at once? As soon as Zion was in labor pains, she also gave birth to her sons. Shall I bring to the point of breaking forth and not cause birth, says Yahweh? Or shall I who causes birth shut the womb, says your God? And just so you know, what, what Isaiah is sharing with us there in God's words is Isaiah's turning his eyes way out into the future, looking all the way 
through the troubles that we have even at present to the end of the age. And the church appears as a mother. A miraculous thing happens. The, the mother is giving birth without labor pains. In fact, she's bearing not just one child, but a whole nation of children. Isaiah foresees this. He sees the gospel advancing, advancing effortlessly in the conversion of multiples of people with an unheard of rapid speed. It would be like this, everyone. Tomorrow morning, you wake up. And I don't know how you get your news. There's about four million ways to get it these days. So you wake up in the morning. You do your morning devotions, but in your morning devotions, you're like, God's telling me something happened. And you turn on the news. You, you read whatever and you find out that everyone in Los Angeles accepted Christ. Would you be blown away? Let me just tell you, miracles on that grand scale are the promise of God. God commits himself to it. And we saw a precursor of that, everyone. We saw a precursor of that happening Back on a certain day, when the church was born, the day of Pentecost, was it effortless? It was pretty interesting. It was a simple explanation of the gospel by Peter. And what happened? Something that was miraculous 3,000 people born again all at once. And then all of a sudden, because it was Pentecost and all of these people from different regions were there all at the same time accepting the Lord, what happened? The church grew. Revival. And we actually see Powerful revivals every single generation. And we've talked about that the last few weeks. We have. I, I, I long for that. Don't you, as a Christian? Hey, sign me up for revivals. It's, it's when you sing that hymn... Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the son of your love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. What? Revive us again. And even in that, we haven't seen anything yet. The story of the church is the final chapter of human history. And it has unprecedented human joy. Verse 10. 
Be glad with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all who love her. Be exceedingly joyful with her, all who you mourn over her. That you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. For thus says Yahweh, behold, I stretch out peace to her like a river. I've got peace like a river. Okay. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed and you will be carried on the hip and played with on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see this, and your heart will be joyful, and your bones will flourish like new grass, and the hand of Yahweh will be made known to his slaves, but he will be indignant towards his enemies. God sending this blessing out upon the nations through his church. Isaiah makes that obvious. So I will comfort you. You will be comforted in Jerusalem. It's the picture there. The comfort God gives, he gives through the ministry of his church. And he is promising an end to our mourning over the barrenness and inadequacy of the church. The church that sometimes feels like, man, we just don't have anything to offer. What does Isaiah see here with the church? A mother with more than enough milk. More enough for everyone. In the ways of God, his church provides the whole world the only true comfort that exists. And it's very comfort of God himself that he's giving through the church. That is why in verse 10, he calls us to stand and cheer. Rejoice with her. Be glad with her. He's saying, identify with Jesus, the church. Let your loyalty be obvious through thick and thin. Why? Well, your life depends on it. We say this a lot around here, and actually, I've been a Christian for, you know, since I was in fourth grade, so just about five years, and... (laughs) One thing that we always say, and I've heard it said since, since being a dinky dude, new Christian, is that the church is God's plan from A to Z. It's the only plan. And the reason is, is Jesus is the head of the church. And this is his plan. And so we identify that. Your life depends on it. It's Zion's children who drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance forever. You see, in verses 7 through 9, what did we see there? God's offering new life. In verse 10 and 11, delightful comforts. In verse 12, yes, I've got peace like a river. Yes, he's offering that. In verse 14, his own presence and power. I'm joyful over that. And I'm joyful when I experience it. Because it's not just when tens and thousands and thousands of Christians get together that defines a revival. 
because, oh no, that's not what defines it. The word revival means when someone is revived, when someone is made new. So revival happens with how many people? One at a time. One at a time. Or, as Isaiah goes back again, you can go back into false worship. I I find it interesting how he goes back and forth. True worship, true joy, you're going to be persecuted, but you're going to have joy. Ah, Let's go back to what false worship looks like again in verse 15. He goes back to this idea of eating pig's flesh. For behold, Yahweh will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to return his anger with wrath and his rebuke with flames of fire. For Yahweh will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh. And those slain by Yahweh will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go to the gardens, following one in the center who eats swine's flesh, detestable things, and mice will come to an end altogether, declares Yahweh. What Isaiah once again has seen here is God destroying all false worship. Whether it's primitive, modern, liberal, whatever, God will ride down on his war chariot, as it were, to complete his mission of ridding our world of filthy idols and false salvations. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal discretion, away, destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. So no more, quote unquote, Pig's flesh offered as worship. And if you're unaware, that pigs were unclean animals. They weren't supposed to have anything to do with them. So that's where the picture comes in there. Not supposed to have anything to do with sin. But what were they doing? Man, we're, we're eating all the flesh of it. We are, we are going down the road. We are, we are heading down the highway to hell as fast as possible. And Jesus takes care of it. No more pig's flesh. No more false worship. Only a sincerity to hear God's word. Isn't it awesome to be around people who just want to hear God's word and follow it? Pure at heart. Tremble at his word. Not to try to explain it away in some sense. Make it less powerful. Make it about themselves and how they can feel comfortable instead. 
Oh no, the future of the world is no more false worship. And God uses his true people to bring that in. Verse 18, you see true worship again. And what does true worship do compared to eating pig's flesh? What does true worship do? Well, it declares God's glory. Verse 18, and I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Once again, sign me up for that. I will set a sign among them and will send those who have escaped from them to the nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshech, Tubal, Javan, to the distant coastlands that have never heard my report nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as a grain offering to Yahweh on horses and in chariots and litters and on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says Yahweh, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of Yahweh, I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says Yahweh. So this is what we see here. Everyone catch this? Here we go. There is a time coming when all nations and tongues see his glory. And right now, right now, he is sending missionaries and preachers and lay people to West Hills, to Los Angeles, to L.A. County, to Southern California, to California to the United States, to the Northern Hemisphere, to the Southern Hemisphere, all of the world. That's what he's doing. And it's spreading the good news about true and worthwhile salvation in Christ. They will declare my glory among the nations. You see that there in verse 19. And Paul taught us to see gospel ministry, sharing the gospel with your family, sharing the gospel with your kids or your grandkids or the people in your office, the people that that you work with, the people that you see in the grocery store, the people that that come by and, and do life with you wherever you may be. Paul taught us to see gospel ministry with Isaiah's vision when he explained that winning the nations for Christ is a priestly service in Romans 15. For me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what that's, Isaiah is talking about there. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. So here's the beauty of this. God receives all people that are repentant. God receives all of those who are humble, contrite heart, willing to believe in him. And you know what? All of us are the most unlikely people on the face of the planet to ever do that. 
And those unlikely people end up being, some of them, his priests and Levites for his glory. Isaiah foresaw that. Paul launched that. We participate in it. It's how God remakes the world. And so you have this true worship that's declaring God's glory. And the question I have for you then, as we round the last corner and head to the finish line of not just the sermon today, but what Isaiah is talking about, are you declaring God's glory in everything that you do and say? Because we, we round the last corner into three verses that end this book. You ready for them? Maybe? Sort of? Verse 22. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will endure before me, declares Yahweh, so your seed and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to worship before me, says Yahweh. And then verse 24. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be an object of contempt to all mankind. You're like, that's how it ends? Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an object of contempt to all mankind. Well, that seems an interesting way for this great book to conclude. But it ends with what one of our musicians likes to do with most songs and ends with a minor chord. <laughs> Isaiah began this whole, this whole journey by confronting false worship in chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. And he concludes by celebrating true endless worship in verses 22 and 23. He, he began by invoking the heavens and the earth as witnesses to the magnitude of the evil that God's people had committed in, in chapter 1, verse 2. And he concludes by envisioning a new heaven and a new earth as the only adequate venue for the endless dignity of God's people in verse 22 here. But his vision also closes with the final destiny of all those who rebel against God's purpose of grace. What is their destiny? Hell. What is hell? Well, it starts with hearing the voice of Jesus say, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. I think that's important for us. I'm going to split this up. Did you know that hell was not prepared for you? Have you ever heard anyone say that? Hopefully you have. 
Hell was not prepared for you. Who did Jesus say hell was prepared for? Devil and his angels. When Jesus said, I am going to heaven, what did he say he was going to prepare for us? A mansion, uh, hopeful. You see, heaven was prepared for you. Hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. But all you have to do to go to hell forever is stay on your present course of self-salvation. The outcome of rejection of God will be God's eternal rejection of you because rejecting his free salvation is the sin of all sins. It's rejecting heaven. I don't want to go there. And how can people who reject heaven end up there? Really, it kind of ends like this. God, God knows when he's not welcome. He knows what to do about it. As one writer stated, hell says not merely a temporary no, but an eternal no to sin. Hell is especially for those who think they are too good to be helped by God. Hell receives those who imagine themselves good. Jesus receives those who know themselves as sinners. When I, when I was preparing this this week, Scott Julian would have flipped verse 24 before 22 and 23. But you know what? Last time I checked, I'm not God. So why, why this order? Well, I think some of it deals with where we're at today even. If you were to go down the street and share with people the last three verses of the book of Isaiah, would you be tempted to not share verse 24? I think a lot of people would. Because I think the warning about hell embarrasses some people. But we need to once again have our reality shaken by Christ. Because hell did not embarrass Jesus. In Mark 9, 48, he quotes Isaiah 66, 24. He quotes it to describe hell. See, Jesus is not only frank about human suffering in this world, he's frank about human suffering in the next world. The way Isaiah describes hell, it's as if kind of like New Jerusalem has a cemetery beside it. But what he's saying is that there they are side by side. There's only two destinies. There's only two destinies, eternal life or eternal death, and, and you need to choose which one. And in fact, we are choosing 
Every one of us is constantly reaching out for one or the other. For our own self-salvation, for our glory, or for God's salvation and His glory. Every one of us is living a life that reveals the true tilt of our souls one way or the other. And Isaiah 66, 24 is saying that hell will actually have no power at all to torment those beyond its reach. It actually is saying that hell will not cancel or even diminish the joy of heaven. Hell will not blackmail the universe until the redeemed consent to suffer its miseries as well, at least a little bit. Hell has no veto power in heaven. Holy delight triumphs forever. And what Isaiah is letting us know here is that the good news is that a person can escape these eternal fires of hell by putting their faith in the Savior, the servant, the servant Lord of Isaiah, as he described so appealingly in so many ways throughout his gospel. So even in these last three verses, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they should go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fires shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence, an adherence to all flesh. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. And this whole book really comes down to this. Be comforted. Because hell has no power over heaven. The crucified God saves sinners. You see, his sufferings show the measure of how much he loves us. And it's time for us to start worshiping him in truth. It's time. It's time for us to worship him with a humble and contrite heart. It's time. Nothing else works except a humble heart that says, here I am, Jesus. Send me. So be comforted. The crucified God saves sinners. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to walk through this